Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. Zero Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Not for nothing really and truly all day long like 7-Eleven. One hundred Apple reviews by Thanksgiving. Evan is gonna shave his head. Best friends with Daisy, the bartender. She's—I mean, to this day, she's probably like one of my top three best friends. I thought you were gonna say you had a girlfriend and a mistress. Well, hello there, and thank you for coming back to join us for another episode of No Blackout Dates. I told you they'd be back, Tim. I told you he didn't. He thought he said, oh, no one's coming back. I told you they're coming back. They're coming. I had faith. Anyway, we have Amanda Harris here with us today. And we're very excited because Amanda's done it all. She's been a model, actress, events journalist, and most recently, the director of PR for the Diplomat Beach Resort in Hollywood, Florida, before the pandemic kind of turned her life upside down, as it has to so many of us. She's the one who would actually host the annoying and needy travel writers like us. So that's how I know her. And she's making the best of an awful situation right now. And she's become the founder and CEO of Amuse Society uh, in the last few months. It's a hospitality agency working with some of the top brands in Miami. But before all that fun stuff, Tim, what's going on? How are you? I know, I know you just got back from the gym. You were just there for like an hour or two. So are you okay? Are you able to be, be here present with us or are you so out of breath you're about to pass out in your office? Certainly not about to pass out. I am a little out of breath. I didn't actually end up making it to the gym. I just went on a long bike ride instead. Wait a second. You just, we had this whole conversation about how you were biking to the gym and how that's just the prelude to the real workout at the gym and how that's like your thing. Now you didn't even make it to the gym. I didn't. And I'll tell you why. It's because I have a flat tire on my compute, my commuter bicycle. So I had to ride my mountain bike, which is more expensive and my gym is not in the best areas and I'm nervous to lock my expensive bike out front of it. So I decided to just do a long ride. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to him. That is the most hipster thing I've ever heard. I'm just going to go bike to the gym and then, you know what? I'm just going to cruise around on the bike and forget to go to the gym completely. Do you think Colorado, is that a Colorado thing? Do you think that's like a hipster Colorado thing? I think that Colorado is the place where you would find all these mountain towns where people are definitive hipsters and don't know it. And I am probably that, but I won't admit it to you. And if you called somebody out, if we were to go down to the lobby of Gravity House right now and called somebody out for being a hipster, they'd probably get offended. I think East Coast hipsters are pretty much trying to emulate Colorado hipsters. Like it's, this is the source. If you trace, if you trace hipsterism back to the source, this is where you arrive at. I think it's like a Pokemon who evolves to its purest form. Like East Coast hipsters are like, Charmander and the Colorado hipsters are like Charizard. They are the evolution in its fullest, most powerful form. A hipster is somebody that is so anti the trends of the day that they don't realize that they then embody the trends of the rebellion. Because the thing is, re being a rebel is the trendiest thing that you could ever really do in a lot of ways, particularly for somebody that's not actually rebellious. Like working at a coffee shop is not a rebellious thing to do. You know, hating on hating on food that's not produced locally, not necessarily a rebellious thing to do. You know, you, it doesn't make you some kind of an outsider by embracing these things that are super mainstream. 
But what if you have a tattoo in Chinese characters on your bicep that says rebel? Is that how about that? Does that not do it? I think in the mountain towns, what you're more likely to see is tattoos of like famous quotes of John Muir or, you know, a tattoo of a mountain with some trees and a snowboarder on it. And that's supposed to be the outsider cool tattoo when it's actually super mainstream. I don't, I don't know what's what in Fort Collins. Do you see that a lot? Because Fort Fort Collins has got to be the broiest university town in Colorado. I would say I don't leave my house, man. I don't know who you think I am, but I don't know. I don't think I'm immersed enough in the community to, to be able to tell like how a Colorado a hipster here differs from one back East. I think you're right about the mindset being, I think you kind of actually changed my mind on this with that answer, that it's a mindset thing more so than it is a, um, activities and interests thing because i mean you wear flannels you love ska and you bike all the time and hike and camp and you like craft beer and that to me is like that those are all that checks off all the boxes but i don't think you do those things with an intention of rebelling or with a pretentiousness or with like this desire to, you know, be a contrarian, you know, you just do an, or, or to be judgmental of other people for not doing those things. And that's what th- differentiates, I think, hipsters from not. I think you just nailed the hipster thing on the head better than I've ever heard anybody say it by saying that it's not what you do. It's whether you are then condescending in the way you do it and whether you come down on other people for not doing it. Perfect. Well, sounds like we uh, wrap that question up in a nice little bow. We're going to talk to Amanda pretty soon, I guess, about um, all things hospitality. Tim, you, what is your favorite part about shitty chain hotels? Is it the complimentary cookies or is it the continental breakfast? The continental breakfast is a plus because if you, if you optimize the continental breakfast, you can also get lunch out of it. Like, for example, uh, if they have little pre-made sandwiches, you can just take one of those in a to-go container that you bring with you or a napkin. Another thing, I, I don't know. It's interesting, like chain hotels. I always think it's interesting to go to the bar. If there's, if you're at a chain hotel and they have a bar, the bar scene in like really mundane chain hotels in like little towns in the middle of nowhere is always interesting at best and maybe a little scary at worst. But it's always something that's like, okay, I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to drink a Coors Light real quick and I'm just going to kind of see what kind of a vibe I'm going to get. So this is our official bid to get a get a partnership with Holiday Inn Express. We are no blackout dates, potentially sponsored by Holiday Inn Express. Just has a <laughs> ring to it, doesn't it? Potentially. I mean, they probably don't have any blackout dates. Not exactly. Like, yeah, you can't. And neither do we. Amanda probably won't answer this question, but I'll ask you, Tim. What's one thing that you've stolen from a hotel room that it would probably not be considered chill? You know, I have a penchant for taking pens. That's fucked up, and dude. If you're staying in nice hotels, they have those really nice pens. I'm not totally sure what I've taken because I feel like the go-to thing to take at a nice hotel is the bathrobe, right? I don't think you're supposed to do that. I know that once when I was underage, I was dining at a restaurant in the town it was in. It was a nice restaurant. If it were in a major city, it would not be considered a nice restaurant, but it was an Italian restaurant, and for some reason, they had bottles of wine on the table as a centerpiece. And so my friend and I that were dining in this restaurant and we were staying at a hotel just up the street, we ate our food, paid our bill, 
before we left, we made sure no one was paying attention and we grabbed at least two of those bottles of wine off the table and left. Jesus, Tim, that's more than like stealing a little notepad or a, even a radio from a Motel 6. That's brazen. That's You've got a lawless streak in you that I did not realize. When I used to work at a hotel, we had this this guy that would steal the light bulbs. He was a fine guest. like He wasn't like a, a problem otherwise, but he would... Every time he would take the two, unscrew the two light bulbs out of like the little fixture by the bed and he would just take them. And every time the maze would notice they were there when he checked in and they were always, always, always gone when he checked out. And he would, that's just like, that's like how he replenished his light bulbs back home. And I bet he just thought it was okay. I don't, I don't think it was egregious enough to like ban him from booking in the future, but he was like a business traveler. So he would come back like every once in a while, a few times a year. And every time he'd be like, he's the, the light bulb bandit. That was him. How often is it that you get to know the the customers that well at a hotel and you know their little quirks and you know what they're going to do? It's, I mean, if if you work at a place for like, I'd say two summers or two years, I worked at a beach hotel for two summers. You, you get to, the, the same people come back, you know, like multiple times a summer. There was a girl, this is my favorite one. There's this girl, this family from New York that would come and the little girl would keep a diary and she would keep the diary in her, in the nightstand. And the maids would always like read it because they like came upon it one one day. And every time these people checked in, they would read this girl's diary. And in her diary, <laughs> she was writing about how she hates her dog and wanted to kill it. What? Like she was literally, and the maids were like, we found this like entry in her diary about her dog. And the dog was like a cute little dog. And it would always like come with them. <laughs> and she's like, should we say something like to the parents? Like she wants to kill her dog. And the next time they came, like two months later, the dog had died. Oh no! And we don't know how. Like he just said, like, "Oh yeah, he like passed away." And I don't know how old the dog was, but um, so we're like, "Oh my god, this little girl is an absolute psycho." That is crazy. Well, uh, let's uh, talk to Amanda. All right, Amanda, thank you for joining us. I know you have a busy day, so thanks for making time. Thanks for having me. So you've just started a creative consulting agency, Amuse Society. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. You were furloughed from the diplomat when COVID hit. How how has it been getting back on your feet? What's it like being in an industry for such a long time and then being freshly unemployed and being like, fuck, what do I do? Sure. So to give you a little bit more of my background, I've been in the industry about 20 years, started in operations as a spa coordinator, um, built my way up and ended up launching some pretty big brands, the Soho House, the East Hotel at Brickell City Center, a Swire Hotel brand. Um, the Standard Hotels, Casa Chua, and then the Diplomat uh, Curio Collection by Hilton. So over the past 15 years, I've had the responsibility of hiring PR and marketing agencies to help with brand launches in the United States and and branding and um, imagery. So I have quite a bit of experience managing agencies. I know what I like and I don't like. And um, so when COVID, COVID came, uh, travel industry obviously got hit pretty hard. Um, after 15 years in the industry and a senior executive, I got furloughed along with millions of other uh, uh, people. And I took about a week to sit there and I said, you know what, I, th- the industry is going to come back one day. And I'm an expert of launching brands and reopening restaurant and hotel brands and a lot of my friends and colleagues as well. So we said, what the hell? We decided to start our own agency as consultants, really. Um, and, and believe it or not, Right away, we started getting people reaching out to us, um, new new restaurants in Miami, 
rebrandings. Um, <clears throat> we have four clients now and four freelancers. And our biggest mission was really to not be on unemployment <laughs> and, and be able to have some sort of income in, in this pandemic and crisis um, and, and also get people back to work. So what is it that you think it's going to take these restaurants to be able to hold on, especially the ones that are launching now, because this is such a such a weird time to be opening a restaurant. Absolutely. I think it really depends on the market that you're in. So Miami is a little bit more of a risk taking market. Um, I can tell you in July when we were trying to do events and bring press. Normally, I don't have a very hard time getting influencers or press to come. June, July, we were having a tough time getting anyone to come, even for trades or complimentary experiences. People just really didn't want to get out of their, their home. Now we're in um, we're in October, and it's been a drastic change. So we Miami was on strict um, curfews and quarantines. We just got our, our curfew lifted to 12 a.m., but pretty much since March, we've been on citywide curfews and quarantines. You said it was hard to get people to want to even take advantage of free. Like, you know, things are bad when people won't even take free stays and free hotels. I know. Like, and now that's getting better. So absolutely. I think, like, one, is it a good product to get press and, and good press and good influencers interested? Um, so I'm really lucky to have some great clients that I represent. But, but when we, we launched Mila Restaurant, the Mediterranean concept, um, on September 30th, and we had 20 top press show up to the media preview dinner. And that's almost better than, than pre-COVID. Because those guys haven't done anything for the last five months, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and everybody said, oh, this is the first time I've done a media event since January, just like you. So um, I, I think that people are ready. And, you know, now is... It depends on the market, I think, but but absolutely the press is ready to come again. And it, it definitely wasn't the case um, two months ago. So I'm interested in how you go about curating press for these events. What to you makes somebody worthwhile or not? And have you ever been let down by someone? You don't, you don't have to talk about me on this one. <laughs> I think in 15 years, I've maybe had two. So knock on wood. Describe them in excruciating detail. Oh my God. Okay. So, like the really, okay. You know that when you host press, well, some press can't accept complimentary or trades, but a lot of press and influencers can. And it's really the, the only way that we can afford to pay, um, pay influencers because we don't have large budgets at restaurants, but sometimes, well, only twice it's happened to me, but people will come in and just rack up a bill of like, $7,000 for one dinner drinking top of the line alcohols and, and the client calls me the next day saying, hey, what happened here? And it's rare, you know, that, that anybody takes advantage of the situation. <laughs> Every time I ask PR people, like, what's your worst experience? And they always say food and drink bloggers. It's like guy ordered like a $900 bottle of wine was on a press trip by himself. All right. Yeah, that's always. Yeah, thing. it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, they, I mean, thankfully, most of them are like you and they're humble and grateful. But um, yeah, it, you get you get your special cases. So what happens then? Do you like does your agency cover that bill or what? No, the client covers the bill and you hope that it's just going to be excellent coverage or yeah. excellent posting with millions of followers. Um, it's funny because we had an incident happen just two weeks ago here and the client was like, what is this? And the next day, the, the social media influencer had like 3 million impressions and she had a huge following and they invited her back. Oh, wow. So you never, <laughs> yeah. So you can get away with anything as long as you have a huge following. Well, let's not say that. 
You should. If, if people take away one message from this podcast, let let it be that. <laughs> Just drink, drink, drink the mid-range wine. You don't need to be drinking Dom every time. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about like when you're on like the my my trip to Fort Lauderdale was solo, so it's kind of like yeah the temp the temptation to like go overboard and like drink a ton is just it's not there for me when I'm just like by myself. Yeah, a group trip, different story, a little more temptation there. It's more of a party social environment, but solo, I don't know, not for me. I know, or they want to bring like ten friends and they were supposed to have a party of two. Right. But you know, you got to go with the flow in this industry. And hope it works out. I just posted up at the Diplomat Prime every night by myself and became like best friends with Daisy, the bartender. She's, I mean, to this day, she's probably like one of my top three best friends. Uh, I mean, we follow each other on LinkedIn. So that's pretty, it's pretty solid. I got some pretty solid uh, networking out of that trip. Oh, that's awesome. I hope you can come and visit in Miami again soon. And you can bring a friend. Tim, <laughs> that friend has, it has to be me though. Yeah. So Amuse Society kind of covers a lot of areas, it seems. You do PR, product development, brand launches, content creation. What's like, what's your favorite aspect of what you do? Like what gets you kind of excited to get up and go to work now? Absolutely. The, the, con- the brand image and content creation. So what is the story? Who is the brand? Who's behind it? Why does it matter? What is the look and feel? What's different about it? The industry, especially with influencers and things, we've been, I I mean, I'm older, so I think I was one of the first people that ever brought an Instagrammer to a hotel. Whoa, that's a huge claim right there. I know, I know. Okay, invented Um, invented Instagram influencing. No, no, not at all. I wouldn't say I pioneered it, but I would say the brands I worked for, like Soho House, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're... Yeah, it's in New York. Yeah, so yeah. Soho House is a private members club for the art community. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of celebrities, a lot of artists. So they were really one of the fir- the first people that taught me that hotel marketing isn't isn't old school hotel marketing, right? Mm-hmm. It's fashion, it's music, it's lifestyle. That's what traveling is, and that and I, I would say yes, I was lucky to be a part of that evolution of travel and hospitality. So we can't title this episode, Amanda Harris, Inventor of Influencing. No, definitely <laughs> not. Amanda Harris, learned. Amanda Harris learned from great muses. There you go. On brand. Perfect. <laughs> this is your first like independent venture where you're sort of going out and creating your own business, right? I, I did freelancing 10 years ago for six months, and but it was minor freelancing. This is definitely my first ownership of a company and... Yeah. What would what would happen then if if the diplomat comes back? Are you going to try to loop them under your umbrella? I, I would love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just waiting. <laughs> I, you know, I'm so grateful for for the opportunities that they've gave me, and um, absolutely like want to continue the relationship. It's tough, I think, when you're with a property for so long and you you're like there every day, and you're so like intimately connected to the this hotel, and then you know you're just from forces beyond your control you're just severed from it and then it's like damn like what do i what do you do and then you know you've handled it really well in creating your own sort of thing and yeah it's you know a lot of people aren't and it's i think are you know struggling a lot more so it's tough it's it's yeah part of what you're doing is to kind of help these independent businesses and help you know restaurants and it's exactly the industry that's been hit hardest by covid to kind of bounce back so that's kind of an interesting time to do what you're doing too. It, well, it's funny that you say that because just to go a little bit personal, my father passed away suddenly a year and a year and two months ago, 
um, he had a, an infection from a knee surgery and passed away. Six months later, COVID hit and I lost my job. For me, my dad and my job were what I thought was me. I didn't really know who I was without these things, right? So one of the reasons I started the agency was so I didn't lose my mind, right? Because I needed something to keep going. And then another reason is that um, I really wanted to get my colleagues back to work. And I knew that people don't, people don't know how, I mean, they do know how hard the hospitality industry has been hit, but now a lot of people are back to work. In hospitality, they're not. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. And, and anything we can do to support restaurants and hotels and get people back to work, like we need to do it. How hard is it for somebody that might be not quite your experience level in the industry to put themselves out there as a freelancer or as somebody who might want to kickstart their own agency? With Amuse Society, when I started it, the biggest thing was, oh, how am I going to build a website? And I don't have a budget to have a web designer. And I had gotten very used to fancy web designers, but I, I couldn't do that. So I got on YouTube like all of the young millennials do, and I watched a Squarespace tutorial. And, I built a website, and you know, it, we wrote it. I, have, I had two other girls. I'm like, I can't pay you yet, but this is what I'm trying to do. They were in. A month later, we had launched it, and we already had our first client. I think you have to work hard. You have to keep trying no matter what also give back in the moment of crisis it just do anything you can not to to focus on on the hardships that you're going through because if you stay there you're going to be stuck there so when you were you said you started out as an hourly employee in the hotel what, what were you doing i was a spa coordinator at the standard spa and hotel in miami and i worked the front desk and i answered the phones and helped coordinate the i cleaned the the yoga rooms and rolled up the mats and sometimes clean the bathrooms if I needed to. Is there something you miss about the, I love, I, I used to work in hotels too. Like oh, I was did? a front desk guy in know. like two different hotels, very small, like boutique kind ah. of hotels, but I loved it. I, the, the people you get to meet, the characters that come through and like the, the, yeah. the relationship you have with your coworkers, yes. it's just such a unique experience. And I do miss that. Like, is there anything you miss about that? kind of baseline experience of hotels, like just just be going in every day and like doing the front desk and answering the phone and like talk, checking in all these weirdos. <laughs> I think for me, the biggest aspect that I miss is the, the colleague relationships because it really becomes a family. Mm -hmm. Running a hotel, running a restaurant, you have to be close. You're there 14, 16 hour days. It, it, it is your family and you build such great relationships and you have so many good times and enjoying, you know, the, the, the lifestyle hospitality experience, it, you live it and you work it. So I, I miss seeing colleagues and having those everyday relationships, but trying to build them as a consultant, consulting agency now. But it, it is nice to go in every day and see somebody you, you know, you work with and you have a good lunch with and have a coffee with. I miss those things. Yeah. Cause hotels are like these little self self-contained worlds and like uh -huh. even a place like the diplomat, like, I mean, I was there for three, four days and like, uh -huh. I, I don't think I've ever been on a trip before where I like didn't want to leave the hotel. It was the same people working at the bar every day, the same like restaurant people, like same front desk people. Yeah. It's like nice. Like even staying at a place like that property for like three, four days, you just get to know everybody. And it's like for them working there, yes. that is their little self-contained hotel world. And I, I don't know. I love that. 
Well, that's a huge compliment for you to say that because you can tell when a hotel has that internal relationship and when it doesn't. And the whole goal with the diplomat was to make it an all-encompassing experience where you didn't have to leave if you didn't want to. And that you, it's a huge resort, but it felt intimate and personal. So that that's a huge compliment. Well, you see, it was a problem for me because I had to like motivate myself to, to leave and go and do the experiences that I was on the trip to do, you know, go and check out Fort Lauderdale and have an itinerary. All I wanted to do was sit at the bar and talk to Daisy all day. So you guys were a little too hospitable. I've always said that a reality show on the, the internal operations of the hotel world is the best reality show. Forget about housewives and fashion and everything chefs and the internal operations there but i don't know anyone will ever do it but it is totally a reality show now i want to work in a hotel <laughs> come on down we always talk about how press trips are like group press trips are reality shows so it's it's that's very similar i'm sure like when you're on these trips with like five other strangers at like a hotel on an island and it's like all these different personalities like merging and exactly well thank you guys so much i'd love to have a drink and welcome you not on the camera as soon as you can get down here. Hey, you're 100% capacity. I didn't know that. That's huge. In the restaurant. In the restaurants, the restaurant. yes. The restaurant. We'll put you in the hotel and we'll get you in the restaurant. You're a VIP. So our next segment is listener stories where we have our guest read a travel story that's been submitted to us by a listener. Um, in this case, uh, Amanda, Amanda did a great job of reading the story, but the music came on in her restaurant um, exactly at this moment and it sounded more like slam poetry than anything else and the beat was just a little distracting so you guys get to hear me read the story instead this is from kelly who lives in san jose california i'm not going to do a girl voice so don't get your hopes up she says for the last three summers i've worked at the front desk of a hotel one day a guy checked into one of our most expensive rooms he was about 50 years old with crazy frizzy hair and huge ridiculous looking glasses and he looked drunk Let's call him Mr. Smith. A few hours after he checked in, he called down to the desk and said, Hi, I'm expecting a visitor tonight. Her name's Susan. She'll be calling you for directions soon. If anyone calls and asks to talk to me, though, don't put them through. I said, okay. Sure enough, around 5 p.m., a woman called asking for directions. I did the best I could, but I'm not really great at turn-by-turn -turn directions. I wanted to just tell her, use your goddamn GPS. Soon, got another phone call. Can you put me through to Mr. Smith, please? Sorry, he just went out to dinner, I said. Is this Susan? There was silence on the other end. And then an outrage flurry of screaming and insults. No, this isn't fucking Susan, the woman said. Where's my husband? Let me talk to him right now. Panicking, realizing I just accidentally exposed the guest's affair, I hung up. Probably not the best move, but I didn't know what else to do. Around 7 p.m., Susan, the mistress, called back asking for more directions. She was just down the street. I now realized I was basically an accessory to adultery. A few minutes later, she shows up and I phone Mr. Smith to let him know. He came downstairs reeking of whiskey and the two just started making out right in front of me. They went upstairs and my shift ended at 10 p.m. It was now 9.30. I was getting ready to leave and wash my hands of this whole business when a car pulls up outside and a woman storms in. What room is Mr. Smith in? She said, sorry, I can't give away that information. I said, well, if you don't, I'm suing your ass. I'm his motherfucking wife. Where is he? He's supposed to be on a wellness retreat, but I know what he's really doing. A wellness retreat. The guy who checked in 
and immediately started drinking and cheating on his wife, was supposed to be on a sober wellness retreat, which, it turns out, his wife was paying for. The night manager, luckily, stepped in, called Mr. Smith's room to ask him to come down. He did. Chaos ensued. Long story short, the wife and mistress ended up in a scuffle that resulted in the cops getting called. Both went home furious, leaving Mr. Smith alone at the end of the night. The next morning, he checked out and drunk drove into a fire hydrant down the street. Sometimes I wonder how that guy got a wife and a mistress, and I can't even get a guy to text me back. Poor girl. Right? I'm just glad that ever hasn't ever happened to me. Yeah. yeah. See, that's, that's a perfect example of the hotel thing. Like, when I was in college, I dated a girl for a long time that worked front desk at, at Best Western, and she would tell me some crazy stories, but there was nothing like that. Yeah, like, I thought you were going to say you had a, a girlfriend and a mistress. No, no. Well, he did, but Tim was just smart enough to go to a hotel that was far enough that his wife couldn't drive there. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely there are some definitely crazy stories. Yeah, I fielded some some calls like that at uh, when I used to work at hotels. Nothing that crazy, but yeah, yeah, he's alive for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that's it, Tim. Unless you can uh, think of any other questions or anything. I think we're good. Thanks, Amanda. It's been great having you on. Thank you guys so much, and congratulations on everything you're doing. And if there's anything I can do to support, let me know. Well, we'll be down to we'll be down to Florida sometime soon. Please do. We're waiting for you. Bye, Amanda. Bye. All righty, it is time for the lightning round. Tim, are you ready? I'm ready. Almost like you knew what I was going to say. I know, man. We're getting to know each other too well. It's kind of funny that we call it the lightning round because I feel like we go pretty slow. But, you know, we, it's, and we give like meandering responses. It's definitely not a lightning round in any stretch of the imagination no the lightning round's a good name but in actuality it's more of a slow drawn out thunder round thunder oh i like that that we might have to change that i like it because you hit people with this okay it's the lightning round get ready everyone and then people are like on the edge of their seat like okay like lightning round it's gonna be yeah. exciting i got never just like so tim like what are your thoughts on thanksgiving just go a little bait and switch yeah like i hope i hope you're not pulling into the parking lot because we're not done yet <laughs> Uh, all right, Tim. What is the biggest lie you've ever told a girl? It can be a white lie, but what is the biggest lie? So I think the biggest lie I've ever told a girl that I've been dating would have to do with her, whether or not I enjoyed spending time with her family. Okay. So, so did she point blank was like, so did you, uh, what'd you think of that dinner, Tim? And you were just like... Straight up lie to her? What? No, I mean, the, yeah, this was a girl years ago, but I just, me and her family didn't see eye to eye on pretty much anything. So they were they like hyper conservative or like what was? Yes. Is that, did that play a factor in you guys breaking up? Not directly, but probably. She knew and that's why it was tense because I can't outright say like, hey, I really don't like being, I really don't like your parents as people. So you're not a very good liar. No, I'm a terrible liar. I would never be one that could like get away with an affair or something like that. Well, not with that attitude, Tim. Come on, have some faith in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, who will? Um, what's uh, and this girl? What's her name? Uh, we're gonna leave that off the record. First and first, last and middle, and also her <laughs> family's, her mom and dad's name, just in case they listen. Yeah, and emails so we can send them this episode. They'll figure. They'll they'll figure it out. It's it won't be a lie. Okay. 
You are at a restaurant. You've just finished your meal, but you're still hungry. The table next to you has a basket of rolls that they haven't touched, clearly haven't touched. Do you take one on the way out? No. I know that you would, but I would not. And it's crazy for me to say that because everybody I knows, everybody I know would label me as the messiest, sloppiest eater they've ever met, the person that doesn't have uh, many bylaws when it comes to the table. But I've never, to my knowledge, taken food off of somebody else's table. I think sloppiness is different than your conception of boundaries between your food and someone else's food. So I have none, for example, but it doesn't matter. You know they haven't touched it. Like not that you've been watching them all night, but like you're it's it's an untouched, fresh. You still wouldn't. It's still too like you don't what what is it? You don't want to be judged by the is it a germ thing? Or you just don't want to be judged by other diners? Like what is it? I am not a germaphobe at all. I'm I'm the polar opposite of that. Big germ guy. I just don't know that I would do it. I don't know. I would take it from anybody at my table. I've eaten off of people's plates at my table. That's that stigma. Is, that's not the stigma though. The stigma is other another table. Everyone has this this invisible barrier between their table and other table, and you're leaving and the full full thing of rolls. You know, sometimes a stray chicken finger, whatever, and you're still hungry. You're leaving. The, the other people are gone. They're gone. They're not there to you know. They're done. The waiter hasn't cleared the table yet, and it's that you're still hungry. The roll will be the perfect thing to take the edge off that, c- complete the fullness. You're you're full. You're going to go home satisfied. Yet you still won't. What is it? What is that that urge that prevent or that hesitation that comes into play in that moment that stays your hand? What what is it? I don't want the people at my party to see me do it. I have to say, okay, so it, maybe it would be different if it was last call at the restaurant everybody's gone. The rest of my party has gone outside or else I'm dining by myself. Then maybe. So it's your party. It's not about the rest of the people in the restaurant. You don't care about that. You care about the people in your party. Yes, because it goes back to my self-consciousness about my messy eating habits already that I don't want to further that any more than I inevitably already have during the dinner. Tim, you got to get better friends, man. These people are... you can't be eating with these people who are judging you for taking a roll. If you're still hungry, you want a roll, you take a roll. You went to, you came to the restaurant to satisfy your hunger. If it's not satisfied by your meal, you take a roll. This is what we do at No Blackout Dates. If there's a plate that needs to be cleaned, we are there to clean it. Not just our own, not just our neighbors, not just our friends, but the basket of rolls across the restaurant. We will clean that too. Okay, so nothing is off the table. Everything is quite literally on the table. And yeah, consider that a PSA, everyone. Anyway, that is all I got, Tim. You're up. All right, Evan. Hot seat time for you. First one, would you consider shaving off that luscious head of hair before you went to Thanksgiving dinner? (laughs) Like being completely bald? Like if you had to do like a St. Baldrick's Day fundraiser or something like that. What like is that? I don't know like what that a, is. Like a, it's a charity that you shave your head before Thanksgiving and it, people donate to uh, childhood cancer research. Well, now I can't say no, can I? Jesus, Tim, you can't bring cancer into the question. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? Yes, I would because of, because of COVID. Okay. Because I'm not going, I'm not seeing anyone. I got no one to impress. I'm not, I got, I'm not going out every weekend like I used to. I'm not doing anything. Who do I, who do I have to look good for? No one. So, uh, yeah, I'll shave it off. There you go. You heard it. There you go. Listeners, if we get 
100 Apple reviews by Thanksgiving, Evan is going to shave his head. I will do that. I 100% will do that. Deal. It's on the record now. Yeah. Okay, next question. Are you afraid of public transit post-COVID? I think having flown like four times to be afraid of public transit would be a little weird. I know it's different with the filters and stuff, but uh, no, I'm not. It's one of those things where once you've reconciled yourself to taking a flight, I think the idea of taking a bus, it feels like less of a big deal than even flying, even though the filters aren't as sophisticated on buses. So now I I would take public transit. In general, I hate public transit in the U.S. because I think it's like super inefficient and awful. But um, yeah, what about you? You're a big bus guy. So we've talked about this before. Yeah, I've been on multiple buses. I did a Greyhound. I've done two bus dangs, I think, since COVID started. So yeah, I've been on multiple buses since COVID. Sometimes Tim literally just sleeps in the bus station because he loves buses so much. He has a beautiful house with like solar panels and everything. But he just sleeps in the bus station to be closer to buses. It's sometimes man. to each his own. To each his own. I'm not judging. You got to do what you got to do, man. I mean, you're never going to meet more interesting people than sleeping at the bus station. He lives his craft. He is a writer at heart. He just he wants to observe and see the different characters, and that's what he does. That's right. That'll do it. All right. Well, that is it for this episode of No Blackout Dates. Thank you for joining us. It has been just a delight to have you guys here as always make sure to subscribe and leave a review with your thoughts on whether you would take a roll from someone else's table come on we know you would and while you're at it you might as well also tell us the biggest lie you ever told to a girl is or a boy or uh, your family or your grandparents or whatever we just want to hear all your lies so that is going to be it for us. Oh, and if you have a listener story, of course, submit it to noblackoutdatespod at gmail.com or you can DM me or Tim on Instagram. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys later.